Well, as I said earlier, it's such a privilege and a joy to, uh, to be back and to see all of you. I have been uh, preaching a lot over the last few weeks. I think I preached about 45 or 50 times while I was in Africa. I, uh, I preached all but, I think, two days when they sent me out to some game reserve and let me roam around among the animals. That was a great experience. But I never cease to count it a privilege to be able to open the Word of God and to share His great truth. There are a lot of things that the Lord is going to teach us this year. You're going to learn some of them in your church. Being involved in the church, of course, is a priority for all of us. You're going to receive some teaching, some profound instruction in your class. You're going to find yourself in all kinds of discussions that are going to be spiritually meaningful to you as you interact with faculty and staff and other students. You're going to have those unending dialogues and discussions about the truths of Scripture and doctrine and all of that. You're going to be involved in prayer groups and Bible studies and mission teams. And, uh, and then you're going to hear a lot of chapel messages and a lot of different speakers and from time to time myself. I don't feel, therefore, any compelling to try to say everything that could be said in one session or even in three this week. And I know that the Lord is going to map out for his own glory and his own purpose a strategy through this year that's going to bring us to a place of understanding of his great truth. And I want to be a part of that. And as I was thinking and praying about what we might begin with, the Lord really impressed upon my heart a very important subject that I think defines us. And that's the subject of fellowship. That's a very common word. I grew up hearing that word as a Christian because everybody always talked about Christian fellowship. We had a place in the church called Fellowship Hall, and it was down in the basement. And we went down there for cookies and red punch and all that kind of stuff. And They had a shuffleboard court on the floor. Some of you came from churches like that. And we always heard about fellowship, and fellowship was an important part of Christian experience and Christians getting together and, and sharing their lives together was obviously a very important thing. But I heard the word fellowship a long time before I ever understood it, before I had ever had any significant definition to me. It has come through the years of study of Scripture and Christian experience to mean a great deal more to me than it ever did as a young person when I heard it thrown around but really didn't understand what it was. And we really are a fellowship. You have, you have just engaged yourself by becoming a student at the Master's College in a very intense fellowship. We're going to be living together for the next number of months and years. It's an intense kind of life, living together and sleeping and eating and fellowshipping in every dimension possible, of playing together, going to class together, socializing together, solving problems together, ministering together. It's, it's going to be an intense fellowship, and it's really important, I think, at the very outset that we understand what fellowship is, what it really is all about. This particular fellowship is not going to rise any higher, as has been said in the past, than its weakest link. Every one of you is a key player. Every one of you has a key role to play by God's design in the fellowship that exists here, this unique, common life that we share. You'll never have an experience like this again as long as you live. You'll have an intense fellowship in your own family when you get married and have your children. But you'll never again live with someone, live with this many people in this kind of environment, unless you find yourself somewhere in a military operation. You're going to find that this is a unique experience of fellowship. And there's never been a better place, and there never will be a better place for you to learn 
what fellowship is and how it operates than right here. This is the greatest opportunity you have to learn about real fellowship. And it should take on a new meaning and a tremendous value for you. When I got on the airplane in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa, to fly up to uh, Zurich, Switzerland, a couple of weeks ago, uh, as the Lord would have it, I, I was put in a front seat in one of those aisles that doesn't have any seats in front of it, just the steward's station up there. And, and I was sitting down, and no one sat next to me, and that's pretty unusual. Usually, if I'm going to have a 12-hour flight, uh, the Lord sits somebody next to me that I need to sort of, you know, theologize and evangelize and... Uh, captive audience for 12 hours with a preacher is a pretty frightening thing. But nobody sat there. And uh, so I sat down in my place and just kind of settled in, and I had picked up a golf magazine to see if I could learn some things that would help Dave Maddox in his backswing. And, uh, but it's really pretty hopeless, actually. Um, I read everything I could find about Greg Norman's swing. Oh, I'm going to talk to you about it, Dave. I'll give you some help on that. Uh, but anyway, I was fumbling through this golf magazine and thinking I'd have the first recreation that I'd had in three weeks. I'd preach anywhere from three to five times a day, every day, but the two days I wandered among the giraffes. And uh, as I sat down, I, I hadn't started into that magazine, and I was just getting into this article by Greg Norman, you know, about how to hit a golf ball straight, which is very, very important for your spiritual life, because um, you can get real carnal if you hit it crooked all the time. So... Uh, I just started into this article, and the stewardess came over and sat down beside me. And she said, oh, she said, I can't believe it, you're John MacArthur. And I said, right. Oh, she said, this is an answer to prayer. You will never know how many theological questions I have for you. <laughs> oh. And this is an all-night flight, you understand? We're taking off at 9, and we're landing at 6. And um, she said, oh, would you mind? I, I just, I'm a relatively new Christian. I came to all your meetings. I heard you preach. I listened to you on the radio here in South Africa. And I've just accumulated all these questions. And she said, you know, because I fly internationally, I fly all over the globe, I never get any Christian fellowship. And, and she said, I just, I don't have anywhere to go to get these answers to these questions. I said, feel free. <laughs> Sit down. And uh, within about three minutes, another one came. And said, you know, we just found out that, you, that you're John MacArthur and we were at your meetings. And there are four of us working this flight who came to all your meetings and we've all got questions. And, you know, we all are all over the world all the time and we just long for Christian fellowship. Would you mind if, if we just all got together and just really had some wonderful fellowship on this flight? And I said, of course not. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sleep or rest or anything. Let's have at it. Fellowship, you know. So we went through every imaginable issue there was to discuss. And it was a tremendous time of fellowship. And you know what was so wonderful about it was these people confessed to me that they missed the life of the church because they're flying all over the world everywhere. They try to find churches wherever they have layovers. This crew was headed for Italy. They were going to stop in Zurich and then fly to Milan, Italy, and they were going to have to sit in Italy in Milan for a week before they got a flight somewhere else in the world, and they didn't know any church. And did I know a church in Milan or someplace they could find some Christian fellowship? And You know, for those people who don't have it, it is really a precious commodity. It is really a precious commodity. An even more stark illustration than that simple one came to my mind years ago when I read the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you will recognize that name. 
Bonhoeffer wrote a little book called Life Together. It's a little book about fellowship. And, and he, in that book, extols the precious character and quality of fellowship. And he does it out of a very interesting background. Bonhoeffer lived in Germany during the Nazi reign of terror. He was a pastor. And he was so forceful and so uncompromising in his ministry that he became a problem to the Nazis. In the gray dawn of an April day in 1945 at the Nazi concentration camp in Flossenburg, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. He was murdered by special order of Heinrich Himmler, who was the leading henchman of Adolf Hitler. And Bonhoeffer was executed after two years of imprisonment. He had been taken prisoner two years before. And when they took him prisoner, they made sure to transfer him from prison to prison to prison as rapidly as they could. He went from Tegel to Berlin to Buchenwald to Schoenberg to Flossenburg, and there he was executed. And the reason they did that was to continually remove him from any significant relationships. At first, when he went into the first camp, which was Tegel, the people who knew him and loved him knew where he was. They found ways to contact him, and so they moved him, and they didn't know where he was. They were able to find out, and they followed him to the second camp at Berlin, but then the third one, and the fourth one, and the fifth one, and finally he was completely cut off. In every camp where he would go, after a matter of weeks or months, he would be able to identify some other people who knew Christ, and they would start a Christian fellowship, and so they would remove him immediately. And all of the things that he suffered, all of the terrible indignities and all of the punishment and all of the torture that he endured before he was finally executed, the thing that grieved him the most and the thing that broke his heart the most and saddened him the most deeply was the absence of significant Christian fellowship. It was out of that kind of experience that the truth of his little book, Life Together, came to pass. This is what he writes. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Longingly, the imprisoned Apostle Paul calls his dearly beloved son in the faith, Timothy, to come to him in prison in the last days of his life. He would see him again and have him near. Paul had not forgotten the tears Timothy shed when last they parted. Remembering the congregation in Thessalonica, Paul prays night and day exceedingly that we might see your face. And the aged John knows that his joy will not be full until he can come to his own people and speak face to face instead of writing with ink. The prisoner, the sick person, the lonely person, the Christian in exile, sees in the companionship of one fellow Christian a sign of the gracious presence of the triune God, wrote Bonhoeffer. God comes to me in the life of another Christian. Christ comes to me in the life of another Christian. And when I'm alone, it's as if he isn't there. In fact, Bonhoeffer went on to write, Christians receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord with reverence, with humility, and with joy. They receive each other's benedictions as if they were benedictions from the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter between brother and brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship with other Christians. 
That's really what we want to talk about. What is this privilege? And what is the fullness of it and the richness of it? And how can it be to all of our lives what God would want it to be? It's easy for us to take it for granted. You don't take it for granted if you're all of a sudden alienated from it. Some of you have come out of environments where you understand what I'm talking about. You've been living in a dorm or a fraternity house or a sorority house at a secular university. You know what it's like. Some of you are coming from a home where Christ is not named and maybe you're the only Christian in that home and you know what it's like to to long for and love Christian fellowship and to feel God coming to you in the life of another believer. Some of you uh, don't have a strong church experience. You're not coming out of a place where there's a lot of Christians and, and you've learned to sort of take it for granted. And it's very precious for you. Forgive those who take it for granted, will you? Forgive those who, by virtue of familiarity, have lost the sense of what it means to have Christ come into their life in the form of another brother or sister, a roommate, somebody on the hall, a classmate, a teammate, somebody in a choir, somebody on a ministry team, somebody you sit with in church. We have a privilege, an immense privilege, of literally being surrounded by the living Christ in the life of all of his own beloved children. And that's why in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, receive one another as you receive me. And that's why Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, he said, whatever you've done to the least of these, my children, you've done to me. This campus, this campus is a large congregation of temples in which Christ lives. And Christ is going to speak to you in the pulpits of your churches and this chapel. And Christ is going to speak to you across the desks and the lecterns of your classes. And Christ is going to speak to you through tapes that you listen to and various opportunities you have to hear ministry. But Christ is going to come to you in the life of the people around you, too. You want to understand that. You have the privilege of living in common life with other Christians. Something that many Christians don't know and don't experience. I have some very dear friends. In fact, I have watched them grow in Christ through many years in our church who serve the Lord in Morocco. In an environment that is not only hostile to Christianity, but deadly. And the deepest pain that they have in their hearts is the absence of Christian fellowship as they try in the ways that they can, working there as tent makers to reach people for Christ. They have to do it in a vacuum of isolation and loneliness because there really aren't any contacts with other Christians. It is an inexhaustible riches that you will experience here because you are surrounded by this tremendous benediction of fellowship. Bonhoeffer said it is true that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. That's sad. It really is sad. Because fellowship is such a precious gift. Do we really understand it? Well, through this week, I hope we'll be able to get a grip on it. I hope we'll be able to grasp the meaning of it so that we can 
apply ourselves to this matter of living together in fellowship in such a way as to extract out of it all the joys that God would have for us and all the blessings. I'm not so concerned to, to go into depth and expositing every passage that deals with the issue of fellowship, although we'll touch many of them carefully. Because I think you understand it. I'm not going to try to, to, to lay again a foundation you already have. But I want to remind you that the true church is one body. And I just want to introduce the subject this morning and then we'll kind of follow it up on Wednesday and Friday. The true church is one body. And that is most beautifully stated in 1 Corinthians 12. Would you turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And I want primarily just to read this to you because it's very self-explanatory. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a very great statement about the unity of the church, the unity of the body of Christ. And it starts there in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 12. Paul says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, he's talking about the physical body, the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So just like a physical body has many parts, but it's all one body, so the spiritual body of Christ has many parts, but they're all one body. The body then, in verse 14, is not one member, but many and then he goes on to say, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? In other words, you can deny the reality, but it doesn't change it. You are a part of the body of Christ. It's one body, many members, but one body. We're all organically, spiritually linked to each other with common life. And you can try to deny it, but it doesn't, doesn't work. You know, the, the, the hand can say, I'm not a part of the body, but by virtue of saying it, doesn't make it true. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? Obviously not. Verse 18 says, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. So God has brought us together as one body with many members. Again, verse 20, now there are many members, but one body. So you understand the principle. Down in verse 27, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now, that's the basic spiritual concept that you need to get in your mind. There are other metaphors that describe the church or describe the community of believing people, but this one is really the most helpful in understanding the meaning of fellowship. Uh, we, could, we could look at the church under a number of different metaphors or symbols or word pictures. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, Christ is the bridegroom and the church is seen as a bride. In John chapter 15, Christ is the vine and believing Christians are the branches that draw their life and produce their fruit because of Him. In John chapter 10, Christ is the good shepherd who saves and leads and protects and even gives His life for His flock. So we could be seen as a bride, we could be seen as branches, we could be seen as a flock. In Colossians chapter 1, we are, we are said to be members of a kingdom. In Ephesians 2.19, we are members of a family. In Ephesians 2.20-22, we are part of a building. 
Now, summing all that imagery up, we could say that as believers, we are one wife with one husband. We are one set of branches from one vine, one flock with one shepherd, one kingdom with one king, one family with one father, one building with one foundation. And we could extract out of that imagery various things that could be true about fellowship, but they all fall short of the uniqueness of the image of the church as a body. Because a body is utterly interdependent. It is mutually dependent upon every part. That best describes fellowship. One body, the head being Christ, totally interdependent. That's the essence of fellowship. And if you understand that basic spiritually organic relationship, that we are all tied together because we possess common eternal life, to put it simply, the life of God flows through all of us, spiritually speaking. We are all indwelt by the very same Spirit. We are all led by the very same divine source. We are all empowered by the Spirit of Christ who is in us. We all possess the same common eternal life. Therefore, you understand that we are all one. In 1 Corinthians 6.17, Paul says, He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. All who are joined to the Lord are one with the Lord. Therefore, they're all one with each other. So that's the essence from a theological standpoint, from a textual standpoint, of our fellowship. True fellowship, then, is, is simply the outworking of spiritual life, which we all share as one body. Now, let me just say a few words about the term fellowship, and we'll cover some of these introductory things, and then we'll get into the really nitty-gritty things next time. The word fellowship is a, from a verb, koinoneo. You've heard the term koinonia. Koinoneo means basically to share. That's the Greek verb for to share. It's used eight times in the New Testament. Seven of those times it is translated share in the NAS, the New American Standard. One other time it's translated participate. That's exactly what it means. We're sharing, sharing the essence of common life. The noun form of that verb is used 30 times, koinonia, and it means sharing, contributing, partnership, participation, all of those concepts. So it is simply the idea of mutual sharing, participating, partnering, tying lives together so that we can mutually contribute to each other. It's just that simple. Fellowship, then, is sharing the realities of spiritual life. That's the definition. You might want to write it down. Sharing the realities of spiritual life. Sharing the realities of spiritual life. And I really believe this is at the heart and soul of what God wants to accomplish in our lives together. You say, I thought the purpose of the Master's College was educational. It is, and we will endeavor to fulfill that purpose the best that we can. But beyond the educational purposes, which may be both educational in the sense of the discipline you're in and educational in the sense of theology and the Word of God, the ultimate end of that is so that you can be a fully functioning Christian sharing in the realities of spiritual life within the body of Christ so that, according to Ephesians 4, the body is built up and comes to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ so that it can have an impact in the world. If you come here and you get a 4.0, which will happen to some of you, if you come here and you accomplish everything you wanted in your major, you graduate in the amount of time you allotted, you've learned your course, and you're ready to go out and to do your profession, whatever it is, if you come here and you meet a partner for life and you decide to get married, and that's a wonderful thing, and it'll also happen to many of you. If you come here and God gives you the direction and the leading 
through the process of being in this place that sets you on the course for future service to him, uh, that's wonderful. But if you come here and go away, having accomplished all of those things, which we really associate as the main things that we're after here, and you leave this place never having understood the significance of fellowship, then you have missed what is really at the heart and soul of what this is all about. Learning how to share the realities of spiritual life is what it's all about. That's why we're really here together. And what a wonderful thing to have that. People ask me often, uh, what was the most difficult thing when you left seminary? Young students ask me that at our seminary, at the Master's Seminary. What was the hardest part about leaving seminary? They're getting ready to graduate. And very... Speedily, I can answer that, and the answer was very obvious to me as the day I walked out. I missed the fellowship. I didn't miss the classes, in all honesty. I'd gotten the tools I needed. I didn't miss the tests, that's for sure. I didn't miss the daily quizzes. I didn't miss the pressures that were unique to the seminary. I didn't miss the commute that I had to have. What I really missed was the people. I missed the mutual sharing of spiritual reality. I felt alone, and I found myself, when I left my seminary days, I found myself making phone calls to students quite regularly, and amazingly making phone calls to faculty quite regularly. Because I had not only been instructed in a classroom, I had been personally mentored by many men of God. And I missed that. I missed the sharing of the realities of spiritual life. And young people, that's what I want to see God do in your life. I want you to learn how to share those realities. Because that's going to make you effective wherever you go if you're a person who has learned the significance of real biblical fellowship. But you've got to have that goal in mind. You've got to start with that vision. I mean, you're not going to hit a target you're not aiming at. You're going to find that you may not be aiming at it, but somebody around you is, and they're going to pull you in. They're going to come to you and ask you to pray with them. They're going to come to you and tell you a problem, a burden that they're sharing uh, that comes from the depths of their heart. Maybe they're going to share with you struggles of temptation and sin in their own life, and you're going to be drawn right into needing to share the realities of spiritual life. Or somebody's going to come to you and say, I want you to come to a prayer meeting. We're praying for a country over here, and I'd like you to join me to pray for that country. And you're going to be pulled into sharing the spiritual realities of ministry related to that place. You're going to go on a mission trip, or you're going to go to our missions conference and go somewhere and be involved with people, and they're going to pull you into their lives, and they're going to do everything they can to draw you into the fellowship. And I'm, what I'm saying to you is, there are going to be those of you who are motivated to be involved. There are going to be those of you who are not motivated. Of the people who are not motivated, many of you are going to get pulled into it because it's going to be all around you. And the only ones who won't are the people who fight against it. So if you can get through this semester, you can get through this year and through your time here without ever really being personally and deeply involved in sharing spiritual realities, you have really put up a great battle. And you may feel that you have won by keeping the secrecy of your life and by not getting involved in these things. The fact of the matter is you have lost and you go from this place with all that you may have received deeply and profoundly limited in what you will ever be able to do for the kingdom. We desperately need to get in touch with spiritual reality, and we need to get in touch with it by learning the meaning of fellowship. It is precious. It is a privilege. 
There are people all across this world who wish they were right here where you are and would give anything and everything they have if it could happen. I meet them all the time as I travel around the world, and there's just no way. They know what it is to be an isolated and lonely Christian without what you have plenty of. It is a great privilege, but at the same time, to whom much is given, much is required. And it is a great responsibility. And I believe that in the equipping process that God wants to accomplish in your life while you're here is not just the data into your head, but He wants to teach you how to be a real Christian who can intimately, within the framework of Christian relationships, share the realities of spiritual life. That's what He wants to do in your heart. We're going to do everything we can to help, but it's going to come down to your own willingness and to what you will allow the Spirit of God to do in your own heart. Well, before we're finished, we're going to talk about the basis of fellowship, the nature of it, the symbol of it, the danger to it, the responsibilities of it, and the results. And we'll cover those, Lord willing, in our next two times. Bow with me in a word of prayer, would you? And I want you to talk to the Lord on your own this morning. This is really a great place to start. First chapel, right at the beginning. And why don't you be honest enough to say to the Lord, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I really do long for fellowship. I want to make the most of my spiritual privileges. I want to be involved in sharing the realities of spiritual life within your body while I'm here. I want to be enriched and strengthened by that, and I want others to be enriched and strengthened. And so, Lord, you know that's my heart attitude. Please help me to be faithful to that. Don't let Satan get me off the track. Don't let the flesh get me off the track. Don't let me become distracted. If that's really your heart desire, just ask the Lord to sustain that desire. Others of you, maybe you need to say, Lord, you know my heart and you know that's not something I'm looking for. I've got things in my life that uh, I don't necessarily want somebody getting close to. Or I'm, not, I'm really more concerned about me than I am somebody else. And Maybe I've never even thought about that. Are you willing to say to the Lord, Lord, it's not something that I necessarily have sought, not something that my heart longs for, but please give me that desire. Lord, make me one who longs for real fellowship, to know the richness of shared spiritual realities. Father, we do commit ourselves to you this morning. We just ask, Lord, that you will begin right now, this week, the fellowship of sharing spiritual realities so that you can be accomplishing in us everything that this most great privilege can bring. May the transient temporal occupy only a small part of our hearts, only what's necessary, and and may we be most concerned with that which is eternal. Tie us together in the bond of unity. Give us a great love for each other.
so that we can be a fellowship that comes to the fullness of the stature of Christ. May we learn how to share spiritual realities, to get beyond the surface. May you accomplish in the hearts of all these precious young people everything that you desire so that they may live in the body in such a way to exalt Christ, whose body it is, and in whose name we pray. Amen.